the sum of money wasn't millions and millions of dollars. It's still like, it's still a lot of money. You know, I'm, I'm paying, you know, I was literally working a full-time job as well. And I was at, you know, credit card, Home Depot, lines of credit, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yep. But just when stuff, how was I going to know the bloody contractor was going to steal $30,000 worth of materials? Yep. I had no idea. The estimating on the front end, I probably could have done a little bit better job. But, you know, again, if you're looking at the numbers in a price per square foot, if you read any sort of textbook about bloody flipping houses, you, I'm writing on the money there in terms of what it ended up with, we're expecting to spend, but it ended up being more because of the materials and all that sort of and time. And then again, it's the time. You know, if you're paying an 8% or a 9% hard money loan on a deal every month, that is, you know, whatever that is on a $200,000 loan. So it just keeps eating away. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to what? Yes, reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts of A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Reed Goosens. Reed, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Oh, yeah. So let me tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Reed moved to the U.S. in 2012 to pursue a career in structural engineering. However, he discovered a passion for real estate investing. Hmm, that's an interesting shift. With limited funds and no credit, Reed went from purchasing a small duplex to growing his own real estate investing firm called RSN Property Group. Reed now syndicates large multi-million dollar deals across the U.S., Reed certainly lives up to the never say die Aussie attitude when it comes to being a successful investor. Reed is also the host of the up and coming podcast, Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate, wherein he invites other distinguished real estate investors and entrepreneurs to speak with him about their success and guide other international investors who want to successfully invest in the U.S. In fact, he's just recently published a book entitled Just the Same. So I know some of my listeners even ask me, hey, how do I invest in the US from over here in Thailand or in China? I think this will be interesting in particular, pay attention to the end of this episode where Reed may give us some tips and tricks along the way. So Reed, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I am very Honored. It was interesting to hear your story just in the green room about you know moving from Long Beach, where I live just down the road here in Southern California. That's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> I live here in Los Angeles. The only real tidbit is the reason I moved to the United States was for two things. It was both for love. I fell in love with an American girl when I was backpacking across Europe back in 2009. And the second thing was I fell in love with the Big Apple, New York City. And I quit my job in Australia back in late 2011, early 2012. And Moved to the US with just a, a trying to chase a girl and a dream. So, and in seven short years, I now, as you know, he's mentioned in the introduction, I now have about 1,100 units under management in, through syndication. And I came, you know, for those people listening out there, I typical expat type of story, moved to the new country, didn't, didn't know anyone, didn't have any family here, didn't go to school here, and just hustled and made it happen. So I've been pretty, pretty proud of that, but looking to continue to grow my influence and my sphere and talk a little bit about one of my worst investments that I made early on in my career, which I'm sure your listeners will find very interesting. Yes, I'm sure we can learn a lot, but I have a question. Yep. You said you moved for two loves, one for the Big Apple and one for a specific woman. Did either mm -hmm. of those loves last? 
She's married. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive. Yep. We got married last 2017. So we've been together for a long period of time. And, you know, the good thing about the Australian US governments is that we've got pretty good visa situations. So we didn't have to, you know, force the marriage too early Fantastic. on in the relationship, which helps. So. Fantastic. Well, you know, since this is a pretty personal podcast where we share personal stories of loss, let me tell you, when I moved to California, particularly to Los Angeles, when I decided to move there permanently, I did it also because of an amazing woman. And we had been dating for a while. We met when I first went to, uh, I worked at Tom Sawyer Camps in Los Angeles, where my godfather and now his kids run that show. But I met her, name is Nina, and I met her there. And then we had a great summer love and we kept that going for a whole year. And when I arrived in California, <laughs> the morning that I arrived, we met, she said, hey, I want to break up. <laughs> <laughs> All I said is, couldn't you have told me three days ago when I was in Ohio? <laughs> and of course, I did what any self-respecting man would do. I got on my knees and begged her to stay together. <laughs> and it did stay together for about six months, and then eventually it ended. But that was my entry into permanent living in California at the time. So now That's awesome. it is time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, sure. So the story, yeah, to cut to cut a long story into half, moved to the United States early 2012, didn't have a job, literally was walking the pavement of New York City to every engineering firm that I could find and with my portfolio and saying, hey, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. And as Tony Robbins says, one yes will change your life. And that's exactly what it does. As soon as someone says yes to you, you can get a job, you can then live here all those great circumstances. Literally within two weeks of moving to the United States, I was at my first real estate networking event. And I quickly realized the big talk and Americans were talking on a completely different level than I was coming from Australia. I thought the Aussie networking events were pretty cool, but this was networking on steroids. So I had to quickly learn the ropes and I spent probably the next six months learning, but then also realized very quickly how the barriers to entry here in the United States are so much lower than they are in Australia. And the fact that I could go out and buy a property for 38,000 bucks, I was gobsmacked. And you know, you, you couldn't buy in Australia for under probably 250, 300,000 bucks. So that was just like, oh my gosh, I can cash flow. It's a four hour drive from New York City in upstate New York. Heck yeah. Bought that property, bought a couple other properties with my own money, quickly ran out of my own money. And being fresh off the boat, they wouldn't lend to me when I say they, the banks. So I had to find a partner and we started looking in Philadelphia because I wanted to try my hand at flipping some houses. And with that, we found a house and, and being a structural engineer, you know, I was working on a lot of different ground up de developments. That's what I do for it. That's what I do for a profession. I'm a chartered structural engineer. I worked on the 2012 Olympic Games as a bit of a history for those people listening and understand that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, when I started to do my own deals, it was definitely a lot different spending my own money. And we, when I say we, me and my business partner, we got a little two-story row house in Philadelphia. And we thought, oh, you know, the, the house next door, which was sharing with a party wall, party wall meaning uh, they just share a wall. These old row houses built back in you know, the early 1900s, they were three stories. And this particular house was only two stories. So we were like, well, hang on, I can do the structural engineering drawings for it. Let's put on a third story because a lot of stuff in New York City and in Philly, that's what people were doing. To add value to a property, they would go and add this third story with a usual rooftop deck. And so we bought this house for probably 110,000 bucks and quickly found out, I did all the structural engineering drawings. We got into it. We hired a general contractor 
the problem really lied in two things and it was a very good lesson in what's called ARV, after repair value. We and underestimating the cost of this this property. It just at the end of the day, I'm gonna cut to the chase and I'll explain the, the circumstances to get there is that the ARV was not large enough to justify how much money we ended up spending to add this third story in a nutshell. Combine that with shoddy general contracting. The general contractor stole from us. We, when a business partner, I had to take over as the GC. We had to start, you know, going directly to subs ourselves. The mechanical sub, the plumbing sub, the electrical sub. We had issues with the city because the GC had closed up all the walls prior to getting what's called rough-in inspection. Before you put drywall on a wall, you have to make sure that the city comes along and says, okay, your plumbing's good, your electrical's good, your HVAC's good, and they give you little tags and tickets. And that means you can then come and plaster up the wall and, and shut it all up. In our circumstance, it didn't actually do that. They skipped a lot of steps. And we realized very quickly that they'd cut a lot of corners on the way. Even though we were looking over their shoulder quite regularly, it really turned into a bit of a crap show. I would use another four-letter word, but it turned into a real a bit of an issue. And we realized at the same time that a general contractor was starting to steal materials from our job site because we were networking. And the reason we figured this out was because we were networking in Philadelphia at some local real estate networking event. And we met a local guy who was doing a house just around the corner from us. If any of your listeners have ever been to Philadelphia, the areas are very block by block. So I knew exactly where this other house was. And, and he had told, and we got to know each other. This is prior to all the theft that was going on. And I remember walking his property and he also had some stuff stolen. But it was funny that our stuff ended up on his site and his stuff ended up somewhere else. So it was very much pay Peter to Rob Paul or whatever that, yeah. that saying is. But at the end of the day, look, it was my dad invested in the deal with me. It was my first little quote unquote syndication and he sent me over some money and we thought the build was only going to take about six to seven months. It ended up taking about a year and as you know, time is money. So the longer we were holding it, the more I was spending in terms of on the debt, you know, the, all the soft costs and just really having to try and get out of a hole at the end of the day. One of the general contractors, one of the subs ended up being taken to jail for fighting at a bar. It was just like, it was the whole thing, right? And so I'm also at the same time trying to move to Los Angeles to be with my girlfriend who was from LA. My business partner stayed to finish off the job. And really at the end of the day, we just, again, goes back to that ARV. We bought it for about 110. We probably put about $220,000, $230,000 into it. And we only sold it for about three seventy five. So if you know, including and then you add all the whole costs in there. I ended up I took a bit of a loss. I didn't lose my shirt, but I paid my dad what I said I was gonna pay him. I said I was gonna pay him a fifteen percent note on his investment and I did that. I think his money was in the deal for about eighteen months. So I made sure he was made whole and he was made whole with his investment. I ended up taking probably about a forty thousand dollar loss or a forty thousand dollar lesson, depends on how you look at it. <laughs> but at the end of the day it was a meat on the back end. If you now, if the deal was worth, if the DARV was going to be worth five hundred k, well, we would be laughing. You know, selling it for being all in for three fifty, three sixty, then add you know your soft costs on top of that, your interest rate, you would have made maybe six figures. That wasn't to be the case. So it really came down to making sure you're buying right, knowing that ARV, and then really knowing what the um, the sort of skeletons in the closet when you're coming to do a renovations. We should have just probably knocked the whole thing down and started again. But lesson learned, and then trying to choose a general contractor who really didn't have the experience of what we needed to put on a third story. Um, you know, you, you do need a structural framing person who knows what they're doing, and then you know little things like closing up the walls before the plumbing had been inspected, the electrical had been inspected. It was, as I said, there's that four-letter word starting with S and ending in T. 
show. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but we got show. out of it. It's a stuff show. It's a stuff show. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, yeah, how did you exit it? Well, look, the beauty of it, we did price it well and it sold within 30 days. So there was no, when it did hit the market, it sold well, it, it showed well. There was no issues with what we ended up doing. It just took too long. It took and, six months too long. And then from the time that you started looking at that property to the time that you exited and got paid, what was the amount of time? Was it about a year or so? or was it- No, it would, have been, it would have been full on 18 months. It would have okay. been full on 18 months because the build itself was 12 months. And then you add a couple of months on the front end for design and you know, permitting and all that sort of stuff. And then you had a couple of months on the back end for exiting, you know, showing it, you know, staging it. So yeah, you're roughly all in from, from go to woe about 18 months. Got it. And I guess from my perspective, you know, probably the bigger cost is the opportunity costs and the, the time and the energy. Of course, on the other side of that, you learn from it. So maybe right. we should go through the lessons that you learn one by one, yep. generally, so that somebody who's in a similar type of situation can understand these lessons. So why don't we go through those? Sure. So as I said, the big one was the after repair value, really knowing your market. We knew that the after repair value was going to be around 380 to four, maybe 450 on a good day. So we had statistics to show us that. So then when we backed out and we think, okay, we could probably get away for $200,000 of doing a renovation. And on a 1200 square foot property, that's a pretty good price per square foot. You know, you do the math, whatever that is. Uh, that's over a hundred bucks a square foot. So on paper, it should have bloody worked because ground up construction costs about 125 bucks on a single family per square foot. So this was a renovation. So I'm thinking, you know, if we're putting, you know, we're putting hundred K into a hundred dollars a square foot into it, we should be okay here. Plus you got your soft costs on top of that. So I, you know, when you're picking something up for 110,000, I thought, well, hang on, this could work here. If we get, you know, the right day, if we're higher than 400, we would be making maybe 60 or $70,000. So on paper, it went well. The thing that really ate us away was when we got into it, just the estimating on probably my end that I didn't, so I didn't foresee. So ripping up the floorboards on the existing levels, we saw that joists had rotted and we had to sort of go in and sister all those joists, which means I essentially had to replace the whole floor. That was a cost mm. I wasn't really expecting to have. And then, so that was probably a, a bit of a, you know, there's, there's just little costs like that that sort of, you know, eat into the job. But then the time, I think it really comes down to time and, and the, the inefficiency of this general contractor that we thought he was going to do the job for X dollars, it ended up blowing out. And yeah, we had to take over the job and then dealing with the city, coming back out and re-inspecting, opening up walls, closing walls, trying to get essentially fired all the contractors and get new contractors in. No one wanted to touch it with a bar of soap. Sorry, 10-foot pole, I should say. So just a lot of different little bits of on-site management combined with the time element. And that's why flipping for all those people out there who look at HGTV or any of those things out there, they don't really get into what the cost is. And every month that you keep holding an asset, it's money out of your pocket and you've got to really be, be sure on the exit. Coming to the exit, we did take a bit of a haircut just because we wanted to get out of it. I think we started at 400 or 410 and ended up settling for 380 or 375. That was because we were just motivated to sell. At that point, we just wanted to get out. Now, if we'd got the job done in sort of four months sooner, timing the market in terms of when the summer hit, we would have been in a better condition. But Philadelphia is a cold city and when it comes to winter, not a lot of buyers, there's a lot of snow on the street and it's not the most optimal time to buy. So a few factors, again, goes back to time and really making sure that your team is solid and that's something that I definitely learned the hard way. All right. So let me summarize what I take away and then uh, let me know if I missed anything. I think, you know, from my listening to this story, the opportunity cost is massive. 
because yep. you actually had to get drawn into something much deeper than you had expected. You could have been Correct. working on the next deal and doing exactly. all that, but instead you got, so for the audience, I really want to highlight that it's hard to estimate, mm -hmm. you know, what could go wrong, but that's part of risk management. And so yep. in our six common mistakes, one of the second one is fail to properly assess and manage risk. Now, I would argue that sometimes it's just really hard to plan for these risks. Now, mm -hmm. in this case, I would say that maybe this just had to happen. Right. You know, it's kind of your first one and you're figuring out and you're developing how you're going to work in this market in the U.S. And maybe in some ways, and that's where one person's advice that they gave on this show once, I said, what advice would you give someone that's about to make that same mistake? And he said, do it. And I was like, what? <laughs> no. But he was like, you know, sometimes you just have to do it through life. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Some sort. It wasn't, again, the sum of money. It wasn't millions and millions of dollars. It's still like, it's still a lot of money. You know, I'm, I'm paying, you know, I was literally working a full-time job as well. And I was at, you know, credit card, Home Depot, lines of credit, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yep. But just when stuff, how was I going to know the bloody contractor was going to steal $30,000 worth of materials? Yep. I had no idea. The estimating on the front end, I probably could have done a little bit better job. But, you know, again, if you're looking at the numbers in a price per square foot, if you read any sort of textbook about bloody flipping houses, you, I'm writing on the money there in terms of what it ended up with, we're expecting to spend, but it ended up being more because of the materials and all that sort of and time. And then again, it's the time. You know, if you're paying an 8% or a 9% hard money loan on a deal every month, that is, you know, whatever that is on a $200,000 loan. So it just keeps eating away. So yeah, a lot okay. of lessons. And, and I interrupted you. Yeah, my third one is what I would call anomalies or outliers. Whenever we're investing, there's always going to be some investment, whether that's a stock or a house or this or that. It's going to go up a lot or down a lot. And unfortunately, you can't build an investment strategy around that. For mm -hmm. instance, you couldn't say, okay, from now on, I'm going to double my cost estimates and I'm going to reduce my selling price estimate by 20%. And if I make money based upon that, then I'm going to do the deal. Unfortunately, right. it just doesn't work that way. And so right. even, so therefore anomalies sometimes can scare us. It can be misleading. Some people get scared out completely, but we can't build our career and our investments around these anomalies. So now based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, I mean, you've got a lot more experience now under your belt. Let's just imagine that young man or woman that's facing this exact same situation. They like it. The numbers seem right. They're about to make this investment. What one action, just one, would you recommend that listener take to avoid suffering the same fate? Partner with the right people. I think it really does come down to that. Your team is everything. And my business partner, he did everything he could to help. He ended up choosing the, the general contractor. We were both new to the market. We probably, we did do our due diligence, but it's that team element that making sure that we did walk some of his other jobs to see the quality of work. So it wasn't if we didn't do what we were supposed to do. It was a bit of a, but what we did end up finding out in, in the wash was that he was in another town in Virginia that hadn't been, people weren't getting, he was skim, skimming jobs in, in another town. So I'm not going to lay it all at the feet of the GC, but you know, a lot of it was, and just really comes down to team, making sure you have the right team around you who've done it before and try and avoid all those risks. And, and as I said, we did all the, the background checks and I thought I estimated quite well for a small property mm. 
yeah. but things can still go wrong, you know? So I like that because also what you're explaining is that as you get more experienced, you find the people you can trust. Exactly. You build a trusting team and that trusting team can execute. And when things go wrong, the people that you trust say, Oh, something's wrong. I need to tell you that this is wrong or that. Right. All right. right. Last question. What's your sure. number one goal for the next 12 months? Oh, number one goal for the next 12 months. I think the number one goal in terms of investing would be to close on another thousand units here in the United States. That's for the investment side. I'll give you a number one goal for the personal side. It would be to travel more and be more, a lot more time spent doing this sort of stuff, you know, business right. development, podcasting, book launches. That's the stuff I love. Get a little bit more out of the day to day and hire the right people. Goes back to team to run my more of the day-to-day business. And now that we're starting to build some scale in our business, I'm at that point where I can start hiring full-time folks to take over the mundane stuff that I, you know, that I've been, me and my business partner me doing for the last two or three years. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Fantastic. Yeah. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this and resources, previous episodes, to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Reed, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our audience and our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words? Maybe you could give us a few pointers from your book. Yeah, look, so the biggest parting, the biggest piece of advice I always give anyone out there, it's from my dad. He always used to say to me, and I, I use it to knowledge to the nth degree now, a fool and their money are easily parted. So don't be that fool. And so what that really means is go out and be educated. People listening to your show are clearly doing the right thing, learning from other people's mistakes. But at some point in your life, you're going to have to take action. And like I've been just described in the last 30 minutes, I took action. I still ended up failing and I did all the right education bits, but I could have failed even more if I hadn't done that right education. So don't be a fool. Go out, invest in yourself first and foremost and get yourself knowledgeable about whatever investment strategy you're going into, whether it be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, investments, real estate investments, whatever it is, be knowledgeable before you go pull that trigger. That's what, that's what I guess fantastic, the fantastic. And for listeners, if you want to learn more, I'll have in the show notes the link to the book at Amazon. Yeah. Let's see it. Your new oh, book, Investing oh, in the yeah. US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. It is all the best. If anyone is out there, you know, a lot of, I heard a lot of people listen to your show from the Asia markets. Yeah. This is a pretty good summary, good starting point on just the different ways of starting to invest here in the United States. Yeah. I'm a foreign investor. The yeah. whole reason I started my show was to talk to foreign investors because I had no idea what to do when I first moved here. This book can help you. So get your hands on it. Head over to readgoosens.com. It's all the links are there, the Amazon links and all that great stuff. And get a few free downloads if you want it. And uh, if you're ever in LA, hit me up and I'd love to go for a beer or go for coffee or lunch. Fantastic. I know how hard it is to write a book and get it out there. (laughs) So I'm glad that you can share it with us. So that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.